0: These are the Money Minutes. Today, Roger Montgomery on the state of the stock market and the chase for growth. Some of it real, some of it fake, and a whole lot of FOMO. Great to have your company here on the Money Minutes for another episode and look after two episodes where we've concentrated on the future of financial advice. So that have got plenty of feedback. This one kind of goes back to the basics of trying to find some prospective growth in an already hot stock market. So there's a few things that'll spring from today's chat with Roger Montgomery and I kind of want you to start doing a bit of research yourself. One, the term activist short-seller is now become a a real thing. It's also aligned with another term that's becoming popular called investigative research. So there are these firms out there that employ people who are almost like investigative journalists, people who will forensically pour over accounts or tax havens or just the way in which a business operated or maybe, as it happened in Australia in 2016, apply for 200 home loans with mortgage brokers just to see what the response is. These research firms, the best known I guess here, is called Glaucus, that attacked the sandalwood producer called Quintus, and then because of its claims that it had a Ponzi-like structure, eventually collapsed. Slightly different, but Elliott Management attacked BHP, trying to get the company to break itself up to release value for shareholders, of which it was one. But these types of companies using research, publicity and short selling are increasingly common in the US. They become prevalent, especially since the 2007 housing market collapse, and the money made by those who'd researched it, then made mega billions by recognising it was a bubble, then short-selling it at exactly the right time. And that story, of course, was told by the brilliant author Michael Lewis, then made into a movie, The Big Short. Michael, how are you? I
1: found something really interesting.
0: The whole housing market is propped up on these bad
1: loans. They will fail. The housing market is rock solid. It's a time bomb. So Mike Burry, who gets his hair cut at Supercuts and doesn't wear shoes, knows more than Alan Greenspan. Doctor Mike Burry, yes, he does. <laughs> you know what? I'm pissed off, American people. We're getting screwed by the big banks, and I am getting madder and madder. It's unbelievable. Then this guy walks into my office and says, There's some shady stuff going down. By go. the banks are having a big old party. A few outsiders saw it when no one else could. Rainy, the whole world economy might collapse.
0: Now on today's episode, you'll hear Roger Montgomery talk about a couple of situations happening in the US right now. One is about a company called Hillion, an electrified truck company created by a 28-year-old entrepreneur called Thomas Healy. Now, that company, not so far, is the subject of short sellers, but it has certainly been bought recently by something called a SPAC. You'll hear more about these as well. A special purpose acquisition company, effectively a cash box that's given Healy a net worth of around $1.5 billion. The other story you'll hear is about research and aggressive short selling. And check this one out because it will either be a feature movie in the future or one of those big Netflix documentaries. The research firm is called Hindenburg and it's one of the most aggressive of these investigative research firms that also aggressively short sells their target stock. The company in its sights right now is called Nikola. Another transport firm that promises it can transform the movement of goods while also improving emissions. It designs and makes electric components, drivetrains, but also whole vehicles, the Nicola 1 and the Nicola 2 electric semi trailers. General Motors has put billions into this business. The issue here is that after an intense research report, Hindenburg claimed that many of Nicola's claims are simply an intricate fraud. The jury's out on that one, but as I say, wait for the book or the movie. If it keeps on raining, love is going to break. If it keeps on raining, love is going to break. When the levee breaks, have no place to stay. As we do on the podcast on a regular basis, I want to bring in Roger Montgomery, who, of course, is the founder and the boss of Montgomery Investment Management. Uh, Roger, many thanks for your time as always.
1: Good to be with you,
0: Ross. All right, I want to go to the stock market right now, and clearly, the U.S. election seems to be one of those real sort of turning points for the election. Regard, you know, depending on which candidate gets in, depends on the economic policy, uh, even the uh, geopolitical policy of the United States after this election. Do you do you see it as that turning point?
1: Yeah, look, I I think it'll be unusual in the sense that. Um, uh, if if Trump doesn't win, there have been uh, a lot of people who are avowing violence and uh, and civil unrest, and that could be a real negative for the stock market. So not so much that Biden wins and that they want to tax more and they want to rein in the budget, um, but that Trump loses uh, and, uh, and people feel that uh, it was rigged and unfair and, and that civil unrest uh, leads to... Um, I guess, uh, volatility for the stock market.
0: But one other aspect of this is it's been seen that Trump has been good for the stock market. He's been pro-business. He's sought to bring business back to the United States, even if that's come with you know, the imposition of, of tariffs and trade wars with China. But on top of that also, bringing tax rates down you know, has meant that there's been plenty of money around for business in the United States, which is always a good thing for the stock market. If that changes, I'm just wondering what the, the outlook for investors is going to be under a, a Democrat government.
1: Well, well, Roscoe, as long as interest rates stay at zero or very close to zero, um, there's always going to be positive um, migration to riskier assets. Uh, You just think about it. If, if, If you had a term deposit and the bank rang you and said your term deposit was maturing and it's now negative, in other words, the longer you keep your money in the bank, the less money you're going to have because they're going to charge you to keep your money at the bank, then the incentive is to move that money to something else. And so as interest rates have dropped, as the Federal Reserve in the United States and the Reserve Bank of Australia here has lowered rates, and there's talk now that the RBA will cut rates to 0.1% in November, that that pushes people out of term deposits and out of savings, and it forces them to invest in, in riskier assets. Now, at the moment, it seems like, and there's not a lot of historical evidence for this, but it seems like um, the the sector of the stock market that's benefited the most are those companies that are growing the fastest or that have their profits pushed out into the future. Uh, And uh, and then technology companies uh, are the recipients of that. Uh, They're the companies that aren't necessarily making huge profits today but are expected to in the future. But their revenues are growing at a rapid rate. Equities represent the growth part of people's portfolios. And so why not invest in growth if you're not earning anything on your savings? Um, And so while I agree that Trump being pro-business, being uh, low taxing uh, and obviously record deficits has been very helpful from a fiscal policy perspective, there is also no doubt that monetary policy has been hugely supportive. Um, And and as long as that remains the case, Ross, I think that any dips in the stock market, uh, and there may be a lot next year, we may see some some really sharp sell-offs, there'll be opportunities to buy.
0: Because what you're identifying here is that at the same time that we have got, you know, sort of almost, if you like, the throttle wide open on the economy uh, with the uh, monetary policy, the the interest rates as low as they are, and also central banks effectively printing money. uh, But at the same time, you've got uh, um, the, the whole question of. Um, the, the government's spending record amounts of money to try and prop up their economies post the coronavirus. But what you make a really good point about is there's, there's disruption in our societies right now coming from you know new forms of technology. And even say, for example, the introduction of 5G technology uh, here in Australia it is going to spurn a whole new series of companies that we haven't even seen yet. Um, and this again will see opportunities for investors if they're in the right place at the right Time.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. You've got to remember a lot of people associate the economy with the performance of the stock market. So if the economy is only growing at 1%, or it's not growing at all, or it's going backwards, that's got to be bad for the stock market. Well, firstly, there's no correlation over a one year period between stock market performance and the economy. So um, a a study that that I read many years ago revealed that uh, if the stock market over a very long period of time and over all geographic Uh, regions. If uh, the economy went backwards, uh, 50% of the time the stock market did better than average and 50% of the time it did worse. Uh, And guess what? If the economy did better than average and grew strongly, uh, then again, 50% of the time the stock market did well and 50% of the time it did poorly. So the the first point to make is there's no correlation. But the other point to make is, and this is the point you're alluding to, is that even in an economy that's going not so well, you're going to get new businesses emerging that will grow very strongly and take market share from incumbent businesses. And they're the businesses you want to invest in because they're growing very strongly. Uh, and so you're absolutely right. 5G, um, cloud computing, for example. Cloud today is where smartphone technology was or smartphone take-up was probably 11 or 12 years ago. So cloud computing is really going to empower a lot of small businesses to do things that only big businesses could do before, those big businesses being able to afford large computer servers and data rooms and so on, now that's 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 available to all companies uh, because it's uh, provided by a third party, for example, um, Next DC or, uh, or Macquarie Telecom, for example, in Sydney. Uh, you know, they, they're able to give that technology, give that power to small businesses and those businesses can use that technology to grow their market share and grow faster than incumbent businesses.
0: So the other part about this, Roger, is not only are there uh, business people and entrepreneurs out there trying to create businesses uh, that really pick up these new themes and uh, to take advantage of relatively small capital being required to take on big incumbent capital-intensive businesses. But there's a second part about that: is that there are there seems to be plenty of appetite for risk from investors. Uh, in other words, if somebody wants to create a startup, there's no shortage of capital for people to be able to do that. Yes.
1: <laughs> I laugh because the, the the types of things that investors are willing to throw money at in the startup or venture capital space uh, is extraordinary. I'll, I'll give you an example. Just recently, uh, there was a, a company uh, started by a bloke. I, I can't. Think, I think his first name was Stephen, but it may not be. His surname was certainly Healy. He started a business called Helion, uh, and Helion proposes. To build an aftermarket attachment for long distance truck engines uh, to make them more efficient so that they can run on hydrogen or they can run on electricity or hybrid, uh, a hybrid system. Now, this business uh, doesn't make any revenue. It's not proposing to be able to generate any revenue until at least 2022. Uh, And uh, this Hillian business recently merged or was taken over by another type of business in the United States, which is very popular at the moment, called a SPAC, uh, S-P-A-C. And a SPAC is a a special purpose acquisition company. So Ross, it's the old 1980s cash boxes that we had here in Australia that all blew up terribly. Now this particular SPAC, which is called Tortoise Corporation, um, it merged with or took over Hillian and the valuation was seven billion US dollars. Uh, it's just extraordinary what's going on uh, in that venture capital space so yes um, there's going to be a lot of new businesses emerging and they're going to get a lot of funding but just remember there's going to be a lot of pain and suffering as well as as many of these businesses fail to achieve uh, the uh, the goals that were I guess promoted when they raise money in the
0: first place. So, for anybody who wants to go and have a look at that, uh, the fellow is Thomas Healy. Uh, was the fellow Thomas you're Healy, talking about? Not Stephen Healy. Uh, and, the, and the company Helion is hyl ion You're gonna have a pretty cool name these days. And it's been bought by a, a company called the Tortoise Acquisition Corporation. So, yep. as I say, go and have a bit of a look at about it because it's quite a good story. Um, and there's a, a lot being said about the uh, uh, the business, and I- indeed as to whether. Uh, the thing really is, the New York Times, I know, has just written that uh, there's been uh, a range of companies' uh, allegations uh, against the company. All sorts of bits and pieces are in there as well. There's another one called yes. Nicola out there, and there's allegations of fraud and so forth. Oh,
1: Nicola. N- is a fascinating story. I wrote about this on my blog, Ross. And uh, Nicola, at one point, again, another EV startup or electric vehicle startup, at one point, it had a market capitalization greater than Ford, and it hadn't built a car, and it's General Motors just, had put
0: two billion dollars into the company, though it had yeah. no revenue, produced no trucks. It was a trucking company.
1: Yep, yep. It's uh, it's just extraordinary. Uh, there's another company called Snowflake that uh, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway invested in uh, at, in the startup. Uh, it generated revenue of about two hundred and thirty or two hundred and forty million dollars. Uh, it uh, after it listed. Uh, it's, uh, now trading at something like 130 times revenue. Um, it's, uh, it just, it's just extraordinary what's happening at the moment. But Ross, this is all a function of very, very low interest rates. It's a function of what happens when money is virtually free and you can't turn a return, uh, by having money in the bank. So people look for all sorts of things to try and generate a better return elsewhere. And of course, then that becomes self-fulfilling. So when, when money starts Uh, flowing into these things, they go up and it looks like there's merit in investing in them and so more people invest in them and they go up and, again, self-reinforcing and it looks good, but eventually um, these companies will have to generate a profit, otherwise people will become impatient with them. But that might not happen for many years while interest rates remain at zero.
0: I just get the sense there's also the, the FOMO effect, the fear of missing out. That there's a whole bunch yes. of people that don't want to miss the next Tesla. They don't want to miss, miss the next, well, Afterpay, say, for example, here in Australia. So there's a, a range of different companies that have been stellar. The people sit there and go, well, I missed that one. I don't want to miss the next one. So in some ways, you know, when you see allegations of, in some cases, fraud or malfeasance going on, um, you can understand, you know, the people are effectively trying to sell dreams um, and, and people are prepared to buy those dreams in the stock market. But at some point, there has to be a day of
1: reckoning. Yes, there's a couple of points there that you raise. One is that in Australia and in the United States, um, the the regulation is uh, under what we call a disclosure framework. So in other words, buyer beware, if it's disclosed, uh, you're on your own. I remember back in the tech boom, there was a company that listed uh, and it said, um, that it conducted no business activity of any description, and it had no plans of conducting any business activity of any description, and people pushed its share price up five or sixfold. Um, uh, so you know, as long as it's disclosed, uh, you you, you buy beware. You're on your own. Um, that's the first point. The second point is that the FOMO idea, or the fear of missing out idea, um, very much fuels you know fuels what I've seen many times before and that is investment or a concentration of investment in technology that people believe will change the world. So, you know, you could think about uh, air travel, uh, think about TV uh, or the television itself, um, and, uh, and then the internet, of course. And so people believe that if technology is going to transform the world, it's going to make money. But it's often the case, and this is a point to remember, it's often the case that, Technology that changes the world often benefits the consumer. Well, it does benefit the consumer, it does benefit the world, but at the expense of shareholders who funded it. And so, if you look back at the growth of the airline industry, you know, collectively they've lost billions over decades. If you look at the television manufacturing industry in the United States, there's been probably 1,500 or 2,000 television manufacturers in the US, and none exist today. Um, Their investors, in, in the majority have gone broke uh, and look at the car manufacturing industry. all the major car manufacturers in the world today with the exception of the startups like Tesla um, have either been bailed out by government during the GFC or have gone broke or were bailed out by private equity in the case of Ford. Uh, and so so you know if you had been uh, if you had been there in Germany when Carl Benz uh, invented the first horseless carriage, to parade around the park, uh, it would have been very, very difficult to make money uh, out of a car manufacturer because 2,000 have existed in the United States, and you know very few of them exist today. Uh, and so, you know, it's hard to pick winners in new technology. It's probably easier to pick the losers, actually. Um, but consumers are ultimately the winner. So use the product, um, buy the service. Uh, But perhaps be very wary about investing for the long term in these things.
0: I'll tell you what, Roger, always great to have a chat to you. We'll do it again very, very shortly for people because uh, we're getting good feedback, as you know, and uh, as I say, it's just a, a good conversation and it's always great to catch up. Many thanks for your time. Always good to be involved, Ross. Thanks again. Anyway, that's it for the Money Minutes for this episode. Thanks for taking the time to listen. You can, of course, give us your feedback via Twitter, LinkedIn or Facebook and, indeed, via your podcast app on Apple, Google, Spotify and Amazon as well. This has been a Talent Court production. I'm Ross Greenwood and these are the Money Minutes.